When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the Hollow Sky Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Steven. And Kyle. And welcome back, Hollow Cult. We hope you f- we find you well on this Monday morning. We took last week off to spend time with our families over the holiday weekend. If you celebrated, I hope it was absolutely wonderful and you got to spend a lot of time with the people that you hold dear. So, that being said... I'm going to jump back into part two and the last part of my dive into what's haunting the Andrews family. But before we get into that, we got to go through the business. So check us out at all our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Reddit, Discord, pretty much everywhere. Search up the Hollow Sky podcast, find us, come be part of the community, come and hang out, come and share some weird shit. If you have a paranormal encounter you'd like to share with us so we can feature on a future program, Kyle's got a whole bunch of details just for you. You can call the Holophone, which is going to be 618-556-0837. That information is also in the show notes in case you forget. But you can leave a voicemail, a text message, anything that you'd like. Uh, I I get to that whenever I get to it for the most part. Um... You can also write your story out or record it and then send it to the email, which is going to be hollowskypodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, there's also another email, which is hollowskyinterviews at gmail.com. If you would like to sit down and have an interview with us, which most of those are probably going to go to Patreon and then get moved around from there. Uh, yeah, that's that's about it. 
about all I got right now. Hell yeah. Um, we got a lot of things coming down the pipe. Uh, we just went on uh, Spooks, Creeps, and Assorted Devilries. We got to talk with them for a little bit the other night, so that episode should be coming out soon. That was a real fun talk. Uh, they should be coming on our show sometime soon as well. Got a whole bunch of stuff lined out with other content creators, so yep. you have that to look forward to. Yeah, I posted something about it on Instagram and tagged a bunch of people. And like I said, there's a, I mean, as far as I know right now, I might be, I might even have missed a few, but there's at least ten different shows, content creators that we're going to be linking up with in the here in the near future. Just got to iron out the dates, really. All them deets. So if you'd like to support the show, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. First and foremost, just uh, help spread the show word of mouth. Share, show us, wow, share us on social media. Uh, any of your friends that listen to podcasts, anybody that's into any weird shit, throw our name in the hat. Hopefully they'll pick it up and enjoy the show as much as all of you weirdos do. Um, we also have a Patreon. You can go over there, check that out if you'd like some extra content and some freebies. Look at the tiers, see if there's anything you're interested in. We got a uh, Venmo. You can throw some monster money, which we put toward our terrible monster drinking habits and some other assorted things. We're thinking about buying the Illuminati card game. We sh- we probably have enough it would be in cool. there to pick it up. Um, also, what else have we got? Oh, yeah. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us an excellent rating and review. And if I find it, I will gladly shout you out. today's comes to us from Great Britain. So across the pond, if you will, from our friend, Sam J. Sam, Sam J. Sam says, thank you. Five stars. Love this show. Have listened for a while now, and I'm always entertained and hearing new stories. I haven't heard anywhere or new stories. I haven't heard anywhere else. Thanks for all your hard work and the time you two put in. Awesome job. Smiley face emoji. Sam J. Sam, thank you so much for taking the time to leave us that rating and review. Uh, it's definitely good to hear the positive stuff. You know, for sure. we get bombarded with negativity a lot, and it's easy to get in your own head about it. But whenever we hear people like appreciating the stuff that we're doing and the work we're putting in, it kind it makes it all worth it. So that's kind of why I share these on the show. It not only uh, like kind of sets a light on all of you, but it also kind of boosts our morale a little bit here hmm. in the old hollow studio. No doubt. So yes, thanks, Sam J. Sam. Hope you're having a wonderful day and this episode finds you well. From there, we are going to go into our listener experience of the week. It's sent to us from our friend Carly. Carly titles this shadow people question mark they say i listen to your podcast every morning and evening during my hour-long work commute and i love you guys i was listening to the episode on shadow people and i just had to share my story i apologize as my memory with dates and timelines isn't great anyways when i was in middle school i had a few encounters with what sounds like shadow people in my room i had a really sweet fan with a light that had a remote control that i could turn on and off or dim i remember waking up one night And seeing in the pitch of black, the outline of what appeared to be a man standing at the foot of my bed. I was, of course, freaked out, so I reached over and grabbed my remote and turned the light on, and it was gone. Another time I woke up and this figure was holding what looked like a chair and was standing by my window. 
Again, I turned on the light, and it was gone. The third time, it was standing above my bed and holding what I believed to be a snake. Possibly a rope, I'm not sure. The weird part is I never felt threatened, and I could always go back to bed. The last time I remember seeing it, I was having a sleepover with four or five of my middle school friends. We were laying in the living room with our heads by a wall and our feet facing the closet, one of those bifold doors, but it was open. We were either all sleeping or just about to go to sleep, and I saw a figure in the closet holding a blanket, and it made a motion like it was going to throw the blanket at us, so I rolled out of the way and laughed. My friend asked, what are you doing? To which I replied, they threw a blanket at me. All of the girls started freaking out and screaming because we all knew that none of us were in the closet. A while later, I was telling my best friend about my encounters, and she was pretty freaked out. She happened to look on my shelf and noticed a funeral pamphlet from one of our childhood friend's funerals. She said, maybe it's him haunting you. You should throw it away. We did throw it away, and I never saw the figures again. I should mention that our family home had a ghost that we named George, who we would sometimes see glimpses of. But that's another story. But he never bothered us or seemed threatening, and I never saw him myself. But maybe this was him. Anyways, I wanted to share my story with the uh, story of possible shadow people or ghosts or whatever this may have been. Love your podcast, and I'll be sure to give you a five-star review. Thanks for reading. Carly from Minnesota. Carly, first off, thank you so much for taking the time to send us over your experience. So... I am kind of, I'm kind of in the uh, poltergeist area here with this. I don't know of a lot of like shadow people entities actually like interacting with the environment around them. Yeah. You know, like picking up the blanket. Yeah, it is weird. But it also. But it was an actual blanket or did it just look like a blanket? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Because I'm not. I'm not very sure on that, but good call. But regardless, uh, a she's got way bigger balls than me because if there was something standing next to me and it looked like it was holding a snake, yeah, or this... even even a rope, that both of them are not cool in my book. No, the fact that she was always calm, like it didn't, it never came across as a threat, is also strange to me. Also, another thing <clears throat> that I just kind of caught, she. I mean, originally, and it could be just wording and me being dumb about it, but she described it in the beginning as a man standing at the foot of our bed, right? And then later on, they say they find the pamphlet of one of their friends that had passed away, but she was in middle school, right? And then, yeah. then when they threw so it away, he, it stopped. He had been young, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, the, the, it doesn't match up. Hmm. And the fact that the house had enough other activity that the other people in your home actually named what was going on. Yeah, which is Never supposedly give them names. a no-no. Never give them names. But I don't know. I'd like to hear it's more. Weird. I'd like to hear more about the house and these other, like you said, the... the glimpses of the other ghosts that but that's another story i'm curious as to if there's any history to the house i know i say that in any haunted house stories we get but i'm also curious as to how this all ties together because usually if you have like look at look at the episode we're doing right now if you have one aspect of paranormal and then you have another aspect of the paranormal more often than not those two tie together right 
So definitely hit us back up, Carly, and let us know the uh, second part to this house. I'm very curious. All right. So now we are jumping back into the haunting of the Andrews family. And if you haven't listened to the first episode, be sure to go back to last week's. Check it out. Listen to it before you listen to this one or you're going to be lost as fuck. I'm going to give you a little rundown. So last episode, we talk about the Andrews family, uh, Ann and Paul and their two boys. They move into a new home. The home has all the classic haunting, um, haunting narrative, poltergeist activity, this, that, and the other. But as you get into the story that Ann is recalling, Uh, It seems to be much more nefarious than just simple poltergeist activity. Where I left off, Paul had just, the activity gotten so bad that Paul has just lost his job and um, the city has repossessed the home where all of this has taken place, which was Sweetbriar Cottage, and they're getting ready to move to a new homestead that is called Hawk Nest. So, Ann and Paul have just been evicted and they're looking at a new place to live. Things got so bad at Sweetbriar that this new farm that they stumble upon is kind of like a welcome new start. They hope to leave the entities and all the weird shit that was bothering their children back at Sweetbriar and start anew here at Hawk's Nest. So that's where we are in the story. Not far from Sweetbriar, they knew this quaint farm was the place that they needed to be. It had a small pond on the property and fields that tapered from three sides from the back three sides of the property. With the back edge of the property butting up to a dense forest that was also um, barbed wired off. And that forest at the back of their property butted up to land owned by the UK Ministry of Defense. And it was a military training ground. So right off the rip, probably some weird shit going on there. Oh, for sure. And I mean, it it would make me feel weird knowing that there's a, a military training ground like right in my backyard. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Like it, it makes me think like Area 51. Yeah. I mean, it just <laughs> like if you were into that stuff, then cool. But if you're not, eh, it could turn out to be a pretty wishy-washy for you. I think at this point in their life, so much shit went down at Sweetbriar that they're just so happy to be the hell out of there. Oh, I bet. That they're like, you know what? This is this is going to be the best. So this new farm kind of like lit a fire in them. Just a whole new lease on life for the family. Paul decided to, like, take a big gamble and try to turn this farm into a life. So he borrowed a bunch of money to start raising livestock to see if he can't actually make a living out of it, raising raising, uh, all different kind of things. He began acquiring goats, chickens, geese, a couple horses, some pigs, and the biggest part of the investment went to quite a few head of cattle. Jason, one of the boys, really took uh, to the farming life, 
helped his father build fences and pens for all their new animals. It seemed to calm him and almost return him to a sense of normalcy in their everyday lives. As you recall from the last one, Jason is what the center of the whole focus of the haunting seemed to be about. So getting to go out and hang out with his dad and work on the farm and be around the animals kind of just chilled him out. You know, kind of just made him, help him be a kid again. Right. Which I bet was uh, just mind easing to Paul after everything that went on. Oh, yeah. I mean, it brings a sense of like normality back to life. Yeah. Which is what he was looking for since all this shit started. At first, everything seemed to be going as planned. Then one day, Paul noticed one of their horses. This horse they called Shannon was standing kind of just stoically in their pasture, just kind of looking off into nowhere. So she wouldn't move when he called her, and uh, as he approached her, he wouldn't. she wouldn't move either. So as he walked up to her, he noticed a small, perfectly square incision on her shoulder. The edges were purposely made almost surgical. The horse was lethargic and not reacting to Paul touching or inspecting the wounds, so he immediately called the vet. The vet confirmed that the incision was indeed man-made, and that several layers of the tissue below the skin had also be, been removed in the same manner. The real weird thing was that as the vet was inspecting the wound and stitched it up, the horse did not flinch, did not react to any amount of pain, almost as if the area had already been anesthetized. So, almost like it was a a horse lobotomy. Yeah, you know the fact that it just didn't do anything. It'd be it'd be eerie to say the least. Yeah, and then the and fact that it's square is even more bizarre. It sounds like incisions you see in animal mutilations, like cattle mutilations and shit. Well, I mean, but also imagine what it would take to make a square. Not only incision, but like remove. Layers and layers, layers of tissue individually, which because, is kind of what it sounds like. You know, you you imagine manipulating a knife, and yeah, you can you can cut the edges on a square very easily, but how do you cut the bottom to remove that chunk? Yeah, pull it off from. You know what I mean? Like, because something's got to sever it, and yeah, that's I've weird. never seen like maybe they exist, but like a a device that is shaped in the square that you could go down and cube it out. I don't know. It's just weird. Initially, they just wrote it off as vandal, vandals and cruelty. So they just thought it was a bunch of kids. Yeah, right. Messing around, surgically removing tissue from their horse. Square nuggets. <laughs> After that, everything was fairly normal on the farm. So they kind of kept about their routine and trying to get into the normal everyday life of, of just being a family and, you know... Uh, just trying to get back to being fine. When one morning in September, after Anne had taken the boys to school, her and Paul were tending to animals. Paul rushed up to her and told her that one of the new calves had died in the, in the night. The calf was perfectly fine the night before, and it happened so suddenly that Paul immediately called the vet, suspecting that perhaps the calf had eaten something poisonous the night before. The vet was also puzzled by the sudden death, so he had the carcass taken to the Ministry of Agriculture Veterinarian Investigation Center in Kent. The report came back a few days later that the calf had died from a strain of salmonella, but by that time, more calves were already sick, and within the next two weeks, 24 of the 26 head of cattle that Paul had purchased were dead. 
with seven sheep and the remaining two calves to die following in the weeks to come. It was so baffling to the local vet that she had an investigator from the Ministry of Agriculture come in to check on the farm as a whole. The investigator could find nothing on the farm or the conditions the animals were being cared in that would have led to these sudden and numerous deaths. After that, a ministry, I wrote that in quotations, van shows up. It's just a white panel van with no markings. Six men in white, in white like um, suits, like overalls, yeah. get out, and they walk the entire farm down. They demand paperwork on where all the calves were built were bought. Bought. As she goes in, or as Anne goes in to look for the paperwork, a huge unmarked box truck pulls up, and Paul had put all of the carcasses in kind of like a pile to make a, ba- a mass burial where he would bury them all at one time. But he hadn't put them in the ground yet since the vet was still investigating. This box truck pulls up and gathers all of the carcasses up and takes them off. So from there, Paul thinks, you know, that's that's pretty weird. As he was asking like to see these men's IDs or whatever, all they would say to him was that they were from the ministry. Were from the ministry. That was all he could get out of it. So after that, he goes and talks to the cattle dealers because after they got all his paperwork, he assumed that they were going to go back to the dealers and to see if they could link any of the uh, diseases to any of the dealers, if they had any other cattle that had suffered the same thing. So he goes and talks to where he purchased all these um, calves from to make sure that they have their paperwork in order. But they tell Paul that he they had never been contacted by any of the ministry officials, and they didn't even know that the cattle were sick until Paul came to talk to him. So whoever came and took all the cattle had some shady shit going on. Yeah, and it, I mean it would make me a seeing them vehicles pull up to begin with. I would be, I would be in the mindset of oh shit, I'm about to be cleaned. Like me go with the cattle. Yeah, like. Patient zero shit outbreak yeah. going on. But that that that's my second part of this is that if the even if the ministry legitimately shows up and starts taking all the bodies away, my question would be like, a why are you taking the bodies away? And furthermore, is this a bigger threat? Should me and my fa- are my me and my family at risk now yeah. because you're you're legitimately taking all the bodies for a reason? You. I mean, they're out in the middle of a pasture. We could burn them. We could bury them. We'd do whatever with them, but you're disposing of them. And essentially, any paper trail that you had is now gone. Is gone. And then the other conspiratorial side of me is just like, it would, would beg the question what did you do to my cattle? Yeah. You know? Because you're here cleaning the evidence, and then, like you said, you go back to try to find all, figure all this stuff out, and the the paperwork's gone. the The place you bought them from had no idea about the issue. You know how in the hell did all of these cattle get sick to begin with? There, there would be a plethora of questions to ask. Yep. Yep. And just the whole, just the whole idea of it, like you said, it just seems like cleaners coming in just to yeah. Ravages the place. Oh, yeah. And the fact that there's no markings on any of it is suspect. They won't present any type of ID. 
that it's all just red flag after red flag. Yeah. Uh, the weirdness with the animals did not stop there. They had a few horses. I think there were five or six of the horses. And when they were out trying to, to talk to the cattle dealers as they came back home, their horse corral, when they pulled in, was completely empty. They went up and they saw that someone had opened the gate, which it should be noted that it has been done before. They just wrote it off to like area vandals, teenagers just being assholes. They were new to the new to the area, just causing trouble. So at first they go out looking for the horses, but the last time that it happened, they just left the gates open. When the horses got hungry, they ended up coming back. No big deal. Well, all the horses made it back except for one, one of their favorite horses. The horse's name was Squeaky. So when all the other horses came back and Squeaky didn't, Paul and Ann go off and they go looking for Squeaky. They go over their property. They go over their neighbor's property. They can't find anything. They can't find anything. Their neighbors also have a corral where they have horses. So they ask their neighbor if they can go in. Look it over just just to see maybe he jumped the fence in there with the rest of the horses just to be close to them if he got scared or something. So they go into the corral and they're looking around. Nothing's there. Their, their horses are there. Squeaky's not there. So they exit the corral and they are headed back in their truck to leave to go back to their home. For some reason, Ann turns back around to look back into the neighbor's corral and standing right where they just were is Squeaky the horse. That's weird. Like it had been teleported. So they go over there to gather up Squeaky, and they said the horse is just uh, almost like it's in fear. It's trembling. They said it's like uh, clammy to the touch, and uh, almost like it's like it is just done being ridden. You know, they said yeah. it's, it's, he's just not calm the way that you would think a horse that had just been hanging out in a corral would be so they bring squeaky back home still not knowing how he a got into their corral and b just just magically teleported there where they just searched for him literally minutes earlier from there they have a house cat which his name is the cosmic creeper i guess it came from bed knobs and broomsticks that's what it said in the book but Cosmic Creeper was kind of an indoor-outdoor cat. The kids played with him. He was all over the place, kept the mice at bay and shit. Well, Cosmic Creeper didn't come in to eat one night. They would always feed him on the back porch. Then he didn't come in the next night or the next night. About a week goes by, and the kids are out playing in the barn, and she hears one of the boys scream, and as they go out there, they find the body of Cosmic Creeper. He's laid out on a straw bale like he had just laid down to go to sleep his body is completely stiff to the touch and there is a perfectly round uh incision on his forehead just a perfect hole directly in the center of his forehead that's weird there's no blood in the area there's no brains in the area no sign of trauma no sign of struggle struggle he had just been placed there that's like classic mutilation Yeah. in regards to UFOs. Yes. A couple weeks later, they're at their front gate. They find a fox with the exact 
same incision directly in the middle of his forehead, laying at the front gate right where they all come and go in and out of the property. No blood, no brains, just a dead fox with a hole in his head. You know, it's weird in these two so far, the cat and the fox, it's very almost like ritual anim- animalistic in nature because it's almost like they're being put on display. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. hey, look look at my trophy. It gets it gets weirder. Okay. It gets fucking weirder. So they get back from um they all go out as a family to go get groceries. And when they get back, laying at the steps of their front porch, like right, like it's it's all these weird like spots that these these animals are being left in. Were three mice, tiny little mice, but they'd been left in a triangle. Okay. Each one of the mice had a precision, tiny little hole in the middle of its forehead. Its left eye was, each of their left eyes were removed. Each of their left paws were removed. It's the left hand path. And the rectums were removed. Okay, that sucks. That's a different path. Yeah, that's that's the dirt road. <laughs> yes, <laughs> destination dirt pipe. Uh, yeah, that that's a little weird. That it's that's weird. Weird, right? Very weird. But once again, it's they're put on display. You know, just like whenever your pet dog would go kill a mole or something and then bring it to the the front doorstep, you know, to be like, "Hey, look what I did! I did a good job!" And I don't know. It's it's very. Very bizarre. Because it, 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 it is weird. And as I'm sitting here thinking about it, it's like when they're at Sweetbriar, it's like whatever the phenomenon, the phenomena at the house on the property was trying to drive them out. Now it's almost like something outside of that is almost trying to scare them off of Hawk's Nest. It's weird. Because it's nothing overtly paranormal yet. Not you know yet, what I no. Mean? But it's, it is definitely bizarre. It is very like ritualistic. Yeah. And like maybe occulty. Oh yeah. I was gonna say, because with the mice, come on, like Yeah. The left eye definitely, was cut out, the left paw was cut out. All of that suggests the occult. All of it. And that's fucking ballsy to fucking kill the family cat. Oh like, yeah. Hey, Hollow Cult. The weather's getting nice, and you know what that means. It's cryptid hunting season. And the first rule to cryptid hunting is good footwear. That's why we're excited to announce our partnership with Tecovis Boots. When you're out hunting the dogman or stalking Chupacabra, you don't have time to break in boots. That's why Tecovis is so nice. They have first wear comfort. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with their styles when you're out hunting cryptids. And let me tell you, their styles are on point. I've always considered getting me a pair of snakeskin boots. And their pair is mint. They also have crocodile boots, caiman boots, ostrich boots, regular leather boots. They they have it all, and it's it's ridiculously awesome. You can even stop by their the local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. So just imagine yourself getting a pair of legitimate snakeskin Hollow Sky branded boots. How awesome would that be? 
nothing is going to intimidate a dog man like a nice pair of gator skin boots. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It doesn't explain the horse. I mean, the, the first horse. Yeah. And the horse just appearing out of nowhere. That's pretty paranormal, but... Yeah, I mean, that makes me think of like a... A horse abduction and just fucking beamed him down. Yeah. And yeah. It's very, very bizarre. So, um, as I said, I just picked out a bunch of different stories from the book. I didn't go through the whole book. If you guys want to read it, it's called Abduction um, by Ann Andrews. She's got a co-writer, too. There's a little tagline after it, but I forget. But I just picked out some of the more prevalent stories. And here is one that kind of stood out to me said in 1995 the family were sitting in the same living room gathered around the tv a program about hypnosis and suppressed memories was on and yeah you know where this is going. yeah that's fucking weird and was fairly interested in the television while paul and the, his oldest son were preoccupied with magazines on the couch jason was sitting on the floor glued to the tv the story had a man in his 40s that was driving his normal route home from work one evening and the drive that normally took 35 minutes ended up taking the man 3.5 hours. He had no explanation of the missing time, but he stated that since he had suffered from inexplicable mood swings, depression, and an extreme fear of the dark. As he was getting to the part where the hypnotherapist was trying to convince the man to go under to recover his memories, Jason stands up and grabs a small china dog that was a gift from Anne, to Anne from her mother and throws it through the TV screen. Paul leapt to his feet and began to scold Jason as to why he would destroy their TV. Jason turned to his parents, sobbing. Between cries, he was yelling, That man there is so stupid. He's so stupid. He should be glad he can't remember. He should leave it like that, because I can remember. I remember everything, and I'm scared. They won't leave me alone. Why can't they just leave me alone? That's not cool. That's fucked up, isn't That's it? That's terrifying. At this point, his older brother Daniel jumped up in defense of his little brother. As his parents sat there in shock of what had just happened, Daniel says, Do you still not understand? The guy on the television was abducted by aliens. Don't you both get it? Mom, remember me telling you about my soldier guy who sat on my bed when I was little? You thought I imagined him. Do you remember how upset I was when he said he wouldn't be coming to see me for a while? Because he'd realized that I wasn't the one he should be working with. They wanted Jason. I know that my soldier guy was real. I think I've always known that he's real. I wonder, did, you think he called him, didn't, well, was the original description the soldier guy was actually wearing something? It looked like a spacesuit. Okay. Yeah. Because it made me wonder if he just uh, called him a soldier guy because, like, it reminds me of the old uh, green army men. Yeah. They were green. Yeah. Because they said they were watching a TV show. And when uh, Daniel saw uh, a, gu- a guy in a, in a spacesuit, like a sci-fi TV spacesuit, yeah, yeah, he yeah. said that's what Soldier Man was wearing. That's weird. But there have been accounts of, you know, essentially extraterrestrial that fit that description. Oh yeah, and they're all, they're they're also different. Look at the Pascagoula with the fucking and like a helmet with protrusions sticking out. Yeah, of it, like. I don't know, shit's weird. 
from this point, <clears throat> Anne begins connecting the dots with all of what had just conspired. The man on the television talking about having unexplained scars appear and disappear on his body. The sudden fear of the dark. A need to always be with someone during the night. The extreme mood swings. Bouts of fatigue even after getting a full night's rest. Horrible bouts of panic. All of the things this man were describing were the things that her youngest son was dealing with. And then she began to remember her older boy, Daniel, and his dealings with the soldier. Paul, still on the fence about all everything that's going on in his home and his past home, makes it clear that he's not buying into Daniel's story. He's trying to find a logical explanation for everything that's just taken place in his living room. Daniel explains that this is why he never spoke up about what he had been dealing with, because Dad would have had me hauled away and certified. He continues, I'm sorry, Mom. I wanted to tell you, but I thought Jason's shrink would get it out of him. At this point in the book, they did have Jason in therapy, trying to trying to kind of dig as to what all this trauma is coming from. Uh, said Jason's shrink would get it out of him. I get, I have weird stuff happening too, you know. Last night I was woken up by a very bright light, and when I sat up, I felt like I had been hit by something all over my body, almost like something had entered into me. I felt this energy was running through me, but I was paralyzed. I was scared. Then the next second, I was asleep. I didn't remember anything until this morning. My soldier guy told me that Jason has an original soul, whatever that means. I know it's true because I can feel it, that they won't hurt him, but he needs help, Mom. He can't, hope, he can't cope with it, and it's really messing him up. He's terrified. At this point, they hear Jason crying, in the, crying from the kitchen. They all go in to see what he's doing, and through his sobs, he begins to speak. It's always the light that comes first. It wakes me up. Then I see the tall one rise at the foot of the bed. Suddenly, there's lots of little ones as well, everywhere. They're fuzzy and indistinct. They move really fast. I can't move or speak, but I'm awake, and I can see, and I can hear, and I can feel them. I want to scream. I want to run, but the sound doesn't come out. My body just won't move. Sometimes I think I'm screaming. I can hear myself screaming but it never wakes me up and or it never wakes you up and you never come to help me i hate them i hate them and i hate you for not coming when i needed you why do you let them take me i have to go with them they take me to an operating room like at a hospital it's all white and shiny sometimes it's a circular room with a metal floor it's always cold i want to go home i hate it they're there the big one touches me but i don't feel it it's as if i've been put under amnesia I hate it. I hate it. As Anne, who that was heavy. As Anne was consoling her adolescent son, a memory from her own childhood began to make its way to the forefront of her thoughts, one that had been surfacing throughout her life at the most inopportune times, one that helped her understand what Jason was going through, one that might essentially have tied them together before Jason was ever conceived. She remembers when she was young, she had trouble sleeping. She would often sneak into her mom's room to sleep with her while her stepfather was working the night shift. One particular night, she remembers being too scared to fall asleep, so she snuck past the, part the partition that separated her room from her parents. She snuck past her sleeping dog, Pat, and snuggled into bed with her mom. She got an overwhelming feeling that someone else was in the room with her and her mother. She hid her head under the covers out of fear, and slowly, as the minutes passed, lowered the covers and peered out. As she did this... A tall, cloaked, dark figure began to rise from the foot of the bed, almost as if it was coming up out of the floor, very similar to the way Jason described his abductor. 
Her mother did not wake up. Pat the dog didn't stir, almost as if it was hypnotized or put under. The tall figure moved around the side of the bed until it was directly across from Anne. Her last memory is of the hood of the cloak being pushed back and her finding herself staring into large, black, shiny eyes. Not the face of a human. She also recalls her frustration in trying to recount this horrifying experience to her mother, who refused to believe anything that she had said and had her write it off all as just a dream. Remembering this terrifying experience would only help her relate to what her boys, especially Jason, was going through. It also planted the thought in her mind that maybe it isn't just Jason that's been chosen or targeted. Perhaps it's generational. So, from here, things get even worse at the farm. Yeah, because if they're not bad enough. Yeah. Talking about, and that's that's terrifying to think about everything that you just read, not to mention that being like coming up from the floor at the foot of your bed like yeah like like rising out of the floor the floor yeah like a, being on an elevator and mm. the fact that like he's having the same experience that she did oh yeah with almost the same entity is fucked and it's also fucked that she has repressed all this so much that it takes her, the trauma of her children to actually to get her to think about it again like oh shit! Right. This has went on before. Yeah. That. Yeah. I can only imagine. I don't know. It's not something you want to think about. You know. No, that sucks. It's, I don't know. It hits pretty close to home. It's a weird, weird thing. Yeah. To hear your kid just be so, like, reading him talk about it is like this little dude is just just over it. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's just done. He's at. He's like on his absolute last straw. Like, I cannot do this anymore. And for him to be, in 1995, he was probably, I don't know, 10 or 12. For him to be just so absolutely traumatized by all this shit and have like, you got a dad who won't believe you. You got a mom who's just like complacent with it all. Like, eh, it's going to be fine. When like three times a week you're getting fucking abducted by aliens. That'd be terrible. Yeah. And it like, the description it kind of like <clears throat> ruins every defense that you think might work because it's like the one they're laying in bed. <clears throat> well, she's laying in bed with her mom, and the mom doesn't wake up. The dog doesn't stir at all. Like like everything gets put out except for that, and that's what's even worse about all of it is like not not that it's okay, but one would think or at least want if if that shit is real and is actually happening like why are you not just like letting me stay under too why why do you let me wake up yeah but everything else gets put under like why do you do this yeah and then the the concept of the original soul is very interesting yes there's a whole chapter on that that I did not get into I left it for the book for anybody to find it if you look online it's easy to find a copy of the book online if you'd like to read it like I said, I didn't want to take Anne's book and read the whole fucking thing on the podcast, but it definitely goes into that. Um, I got a couple more little uh, points here that I will go through, and then I'll kind of wrap back around to that. So at this point, after the television incident, Anne starts to notice figures around the farm, 
not like action figures, but like people around the farm. In mid-September 1995, Anne had sent the boys off to school and her and Paul were out driving the perimeter of the farm. It was pouring down rain that day and they were discussing how the downpour might or would probably affect the unharvested crops that were still out. When all of a sudden Paul stopped talking mid-sentence, he noticed to his left two figures standing in the middle of their wheat field. As they got within 50 yards of the figures, Anne could make out that they were two men, exceptionally tall, each over six feet. They were dressed in dark suits and hats. A little distressed but not completely alarmed, they went about their business of feeding the animals and such, with Paul checking on the men about every ten minutes or so to see what they were up to. They just continued standing in the same spot. Completely silent, not moving, looking toward the farm. After about an hour of this, Paul had had enough. He started off across the field to confront the men. As he did, they slowly turned away and headed directly into the woods. No matter how fast Paul increased his pace, they increased it as well to where he could not keep up with them, and they faded off into the forest, where Paul found no signs of the men as he got to the edge of the woods. The following weekend, the strangers were there again, in exactly the same clothing, standing like statues, watching the farm. It was Jason that noticed them first, and as soon as he pointed them out, Paul parked the truck and took off, took off after him. After a few seconds, the men just watched as Paul ran across the field, then simultaneously, they both turned around at exactly the same time and walked into the forest. From there, the following summer, they had another odd incident. So kind of around the perimeter of the farm, there is a uh, walking path that a lot of people jog on. Not a lot of people, but people do jog on it. So it wasn't anything to see people out in their jogging suits during the summer, getting exercise in this and that and the other. Except one evening, uh, Anne had noticed a man running in a red tracksuit. And he was running on the path, but as the path curved around the area of their property, the man just continued to run into their field. And he stopped at almost the exact same spot that the two suited men stand in, or, or were seen standing in. And he turned and he just looked directly at the house. And was like, man, this dude's on our, on our property, but you know, it's kind of weird. So she went about her business for a second and she came back 15 minutes later and he was still standing there looking at the house. So this carried on for a little while longer. And then she had told Paul, hey, there's someone out in the, out in the field we should probably go see what they're doing. As soon as they walk to the porch, tracksuit man turns, and instead of going back on the path about his way, sprints directly into the forest. That's weird. It is. It makes me feel fucking disgusting. <clears throat> it's very men in blacky. Yeah. And like you said, uh, sir, no face. It's it's fucking weird. It's it's very bizarre. The next few months, more weird shit started happening in the forest. Uh, the co-author of this book actually went to Hawk's Nest to speak with Anne and the family while they were while they were working on this book together. All of a sudden, they had started hearing phones ringing from this dense ass forest, like cell phones. It was it was late '90s, so cell phones were a thing, but they were not very prominent. And they would hear the phones ringing 
in the forest. Keep in mind, it's a pretty dense forest. And that's another thing for these, for these guys just to turn and walk off into the forest. They said it's super thick with thistles and brambles and shit. Like there's no way track man should have been able to sprint off into the forest. And beyond that, there is a tall ass barbed wire fence that cuts off the, the military defense land. So there wasn't a whole lot of area for them to run. Anyway, they kept hearing phone call or phones ringing out in the forest. When they were out walking the perimeter of the field, they'd hear it. The uh, co-author of the book was out there with them. Sure the fuck enough. Phone ringing from the middle of the woods where nobody's supposed to be. Um, they also started hearing uh, coughing and sneezing from that area. Almost like people were out there to the point to where Paul had tried to make his way through all the roughage to see if anyone was out there. But it was just so thick around the perimeter of their farm that he could, he said he couldn't get into it without chopping into it with like a machete or shit. Like it was just, it was almost like it was purposely grown up to kind of, kind of hide the fence that was back there. Um, they also had an incident where they had an old camper on their property that they were living in for a while while they were kind of uh, renovating Hawk's Nest, kind of getting the house ready because as they were repossessed, they were kind of just tossed out on their shit. So this camper kind of become a storage space where they kept extra, extra all kinds of stuff, but they kept paperwork in there as well. Well, one day Anne went out there to gather some paperwork and she noticed that someone had been in the camper going through all of their stuff to the point to where it was like someone had ransacked the camper, but then tried to clean it up. She said, Anne, or Anne said that, she noticed that everything had been rearranged but put back into place just enough to where, like, you knew someone had messed with it, but it wasn't very noticeable. Almost to where you, like, question yourself. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was going to bring up is you, your rational brain be like, no, nah, I'm, just, I'm just being paranoid. Yeah. So that was another incident that someone had been in there going through all of their personal items. It was almost as if... As you go through the book a little bit more, it's almost as if something was trying to push them off of Hawk's Nest property too. So I don't know if maybe they were like victims of some kind of paranormal phenomenon at Sweetbriar. And then when they moved to Hawk's Nest, maybe the Ministry of Defense were kind of trying to keep an eye on it. Maybe maybe spark the phenomenon a little bit, like with all the like weird occulty shit, like Maybe we can get this thing to fire up so we can keep an eye on it. Right. I don't know. The cell phones would definitely creep me out. Hearing random phone calls in the middle of the woods is not not normal at all. No, it's, but it like it's it's weird because there's a part of you, especially with the coughing and sneezing and shit, it makes you feel like somebody's out there on a twenty four seven surveillance. Keeping an eye on you. You know what I mean? Yep. Keeping an eye on you. It also made me think of the missing 411 phenomenon where people kind of fall into that that weird uh, liminal gray area where they hear other people, Yeah, they can't see them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost like the veil has been lifted or dropped, and it's, it's almost like an alternate universe or reality or timeline or some shit. But um, that's really the only things that I'm going to touch on. Definitely go hunt down the book if you'd like to look at it. There's a whole lot of other things there. There's other tragedies that had happened with the family. Uh, there's an incident where 
Jason is recalling being actually on the spaceship and the aliens uh, show him the end of the world. Oh, that's fun. And there's somebody else there with him that when she was younger had previous experiences similar to his. Well, mommy was there. That's yeah. weird. He Does sees... she recall it? I th- I think after he says it, because there's a real like a real pivotal point to where he is like, and you were there in regards to the end of the world thing. He said there was a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of humans there as they were showing this. They essentially just showed the world on fire. Like it was just just burning. Right. And he says, you already know this. You were there. And then that's when she started to recall like, oh shit, maybe I was there. That sucks. And it also uh, goes in, it's got a whole chapter on him being an original soul. And the book is kind of um, polarizing, like I mentioned before, because at first, like you don't know where Anne kind of stands on this because she almost writes it like at the beginning when he's young, like, like clearly he is a victim of this phenomenon. He is traumatized to the point to where like he almost seems like he cannot take it anymore. But then as she gets into this, uh, original soul aspect it's almost like he was a chosen one like they picked him out for all of this like like it's almost something to like it's like this weird oh that gives me gross thoughts yeah like this what is because it because it's like a it's almost like if you believe that if you believe the old soul you believe that he's chosen it's almost like him and a group of people are being like, like almost farmed for the seeding project. Like, like, hey, humanity is about to fall. I didn't think about that. Yeah, we need, and that would explain all of the medical experiments. Yeah, like you know, going through a fi- like, either making sure like he's arc. up to par, or modifying him to a degree. It's like, all right, you're gonna be now. You can survive the journey. You, you, whatever the case may be, you yeah. can, you can now live on this new planet that we are gonna seed you. You all have been chosen. Maybe that's why they were testing the animals too. It was like this weird, could be intergalactic Noah's Ark. Bullshit. I like that. Yeah, the yeah intergalactic Noah's Ark. I like that. But it also goes to where where like it begins out with the, it begins as this horrible, horrible, awful experience. And then as it as it culminates, it doesn't get any fucking better. Right. But their mindset, the mindset is like this weird Stockholm syndrome where they're like, hey, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe, maybe I'm chosen. Like it that reminds me familiar. of it reminds me of Bledsoe. Yep. Where where what's happening to them is absolutely traumatic and horrible. But as it goes on, it's like they're convincing themselves, well, this is happening to me for this reason. Yeah. I'm, I'm supposed to be here. They're, so they have this message to point out to me, you know. It's, and you hear that a lot. That's, you hear that a lot. In, well, and how do you, at that point, how the fuck do you, you trust anyone. your own mind? Because yeah. you literally just sat there and explained how they have the capability to manifest out of thin air, essentially. Teleport horses. Teleport horses. They have the ability to make your dog non-responsive, your mom non-responsive, but it lets you be in basically a waking coma 
fucked. You know what I mean? But and then who's to say they don't have the ability <clears throat> to almost make you have a Stockholm syndrome? Yeah, sympathetic. Like yeah. no, we're we're actually the good guys. We're because we're let's face all it, all love and light. Well, face it, you could you could we could go to the doctor right now, and the doctor could tell us. No, Kyle, like, this is the way that it is. And you're going to go, okay, you know why? Because I don't know any better. I I don't know. You know, and if if they came from any type of religious background, they could be like, they could start convincing themselves that this is tons of different things. I mean, it's just, the possibilities are endless. Reading Reading the definition for Stockholm Syndrome in conjuncture with whatever these beings are that's taking people is gross. Stockholm Syndrome describes the psychological condition of a victim who identifies with and empathizes with their captor or abuser and their goals. There you go. So you're good with it. It sounds exactly like what she did. Yep. Sounded exactly like what Mr. Bledsoe did. Right. It's Dude, it's weird. That's, that's, that's weird. That's going to be my 2023... Uh, Fucking hill to die on is maybe maybe that's why intergalactic, interdimensional Stockholm syndrome. Maybe that's why it all fails on us because our brains are too scattered. <clears throat> maybe because I don't feel empathy. Well, there might be that, but I feel like Come my brains me. my brain's so scattered. Like I rationalize and non rationalize so much and so frequently. There'll be one day where I'm like, yeah, we're definitely, this is definitely happening to us. And then the next day I'm like, that's bullshit. We just, we just and literally just goes back and forth. We just literally had that conversation. What? About um, all the shit that's going on with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I call it the metaphysical warfare. That's what go. I'm going to refer to it as. I'm not going to get any specifics, but just, just keep sending me and Kyle all, all of your hollow cult powers because yeah. some fuck, some fuckery is going on. Oh yeah. Without question. And Kyle's exact words were, he's like, man, some days I'm really like, I'm really buying into it. Like, man, maybe there's something bigger fucking with us. And then other days I'm like, nah. Yeah, it's good. That's not real. We're good. But I'm, maybe maybe I'll talk about it on another show. But I'm just going to call it metaphysical spiritual warfare. Let that be a tagline. Yeah. Interdimensional Stockholm Syndrome, metaphysical spiritual warfare. Yeah, I would talk shit, but the last time I did, I almost went to the ER, so... Yeah. I'm not trying to do that. It's going to be fine. Anyway, uh, again, shout out to Laura, the Paranormal Scholar on YouTube. She's the one who turned me on to this case. Check out her channel. Tons of dope shit over there. She gets into some weird shit, man. Like That's awesome. Exorcisms and shit, and like she's got a pretty, pretty decent-sized YouTube channel. Like almost half a million subscribers. She took the time to come to our tiny little YouTube channel. That's balling. And leave us a comment when uh, some of the Holocult went over to her channel and said, we came here from Hollis Guy. That's awesome. She came and peeked us. So shout out to her. Hope she's doing great things. Um, That wraps it up. Definitely go check the book out if you have not. Um, Again, let me Google it real quick to give you the exact name because I don't want to screw it up. And that's all that I do. And, and while Steve's doing that, I'll go ahead and talk to you a minute. Uh, be on the lookout. We are most likely going to be starting a live stream show here soon. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. 
and write the phone number down because we're going to allow call-ins and all that type of shit. So. Yeah, it should be dope. Yeah. So the book is, it's called Abducted, The True Tale of an Alien Abduction in Rural England by Ann Andrews and Gene Ritchie. Like I said, there's copies available online. There's also copies on Amazon. Uh, it's easy to find if you want to read it. It's a pretty big book. Like I said, it's over 300 pages, but a lot of shit went on. And like I said, there's a lot of a lot of tragedy and other things that I didn't cover because it would have taken forever, and I'm not just going to read her book on the podcast, but definitely check it out. It, it was a pretty harrowing read to hear such to hear a child go through that shit and sucks to hear it from the point of view of a parent kind of puts it in a even more heart-wrenching perspective so yeah uh that's about wraps it up check us out at all our social medias facebook instagram youtube twitter tiktok reddit and discord come and hang out with us And until next Monday when we meet again, stay safe, stay weird, and do not fall for the interdimensional Stockholm Syndrome. They are not love. They are not light. Do not trust them.